You may be seated, and I want to invite you, uh, if you're the, the kid with your parents or guardian's permission, can slip downstairs to eKids, where Mr. Josh will be down there waiting on you and ready to go to have a lesson just for you all. And I want to invite the rest of you to go turn in your Bibles, or maybe even turn on in your Bibles, uh, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. So we ha- started last fall. Actually, um, this time last year, we started a series in the book of Acts. And then we took a few breaks through the year for October and Christmas. And, and then over the summer, we took a break uh, and looked at the uh, worship by the book. And uh, we're getting back into Acts today. Back, so Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we're so glad you're here and looking forward to what God would have for us. Uh, Bart, I've got a little bit of ringing up here, and if you guys want to work on that, I'd really appreciate it, and I'm used to hearing voices in my head. Uh, it's a joke. We're glad, so glad many of you guests are with us today, and we hope you feel at home. We look forward to fellowship with, with you later. Acts chapter 17, in our normal mode of uh, studying the Bible here is just to take a book of the Bible and walk through it. Each one has application to us. And so we're in the book of Acts today. And we're calling this whole series um, A Church on the Move. And today we're going to be looking at this episode, a, little, a small episode in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. So we're picking up in his second missionary journey, being sent out of the church at Antioch. And really, once you get past the beginning parts of the church, this, this word sent 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 is really you see this theme of the church that the church a new testament church a church on the move is a sending church and, and it's not just to come here and be here it's to go out to be gathered and then scattered to be sent out and uh it would be awesome god would do that even with missionaries from here from the but also sending us out into our respective jobs and duties all week long and so uh here in paul's second missionary journey now luke um, gives us a brief, uh, Luke, who's the human author of the book of Acts, gives us a brief glimpse of his ministry in two different cities in Macedonia. Remember, he see, had this Macedonian call, and we looked at God's, how God leads in the will of God, and how he used circumstances and leading uh, opportunities there, and even human conflict to, to, to bring him to the, his servant to the right place at the right time. And then we saw his ministry at Philippi, and then he is, he's in Macedonia, and he's making his way to one of the capital cities of Macedonia, Thessalonica. The modern city is pronounced Thessaloniki. In the scripture, we'd see Thessalonians, Thessalonica, um, and then another city named Berea. And so there's two cities in this episode, and often uh, sometimes uh, commentators will just kind of skip over. In fact, a few study Bibles I have just totally skipped this section um, because it's such a brief episode of those two cities. Um, But I really think if we're going to walk through and let every word count, and uh, the reason we do this is so that each 
section of scripture has a voice and a lesson in the, and, and Paul would say that it is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction, instruction and righteousness. If there's a message and a lesson for us here in this episode. There's two cities that he takes the gospel to, two experiences and two different responses to the gospel. And often when you see two different things, they contrast. And so we're going to look at a series of contrasts here between the response that Paul receives to the God that uh, when he preaches the gospel and he speaks the gospel <clears throat> at Thessalonica and then at Berea. And so we're going to see a contrast in a, a few different areas. Excuse me. We're going to see a contrast in their view of the Bible and the authority of the scriptures in their worldview. We're going to see a contrast in their receptiveness to that word, especially a contrast in their receptiveness to the gospel. And in this account, he's going to show us some of the key things, some of the key lessons about the, the, the doctrine of the core components of what the gospel is and all, it, the co- components of the content of the gospel. We we'll also learn some lessons uh, in here about how we should share the gospel based upon Paul's, res- Paul's example, how we should respond to not just the gospel, but when we hear scriptural teaching that we might not be familiar with, how we would respond to it, and especially how we would respond to the gospel. And so I ask you, whether you're saved or not, how are you responding to the gospel? We're going to look at that here in this text. So I hope you found it. Acts chapter 17. (coughs) Excuse me. I'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through verse 14. Actually, we'll read through verse 15. This is God's word. And now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. And there was a synagogue where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to raise the dead And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed. And when they had heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Saul, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off 
on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there, and those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. This is God's word. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, we pause one moment to just acknowledge this is your scriptures and we are to submit to it. It is the authority. It is the chief thing. Give us ears to hear, God. Open our eyes to behold wondrous truths from this book, Lord. Help us to recognize that the Spirit takes and does His work, Lord, where we rest and trust and um, find comfort in knowing that You will use Your Word. It is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And so, Lord, would You change us through what we hear today from Your text. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me, for some reason I'm getting a... Well, the first thing we need to look at here as we look into this episode in the second missionary journey is look at the setting. And the first thing I want to point out here is we've talked about these contrasts of uh, the, between these two cities and how they uh, view the Bible, how the worldview that might be there, uh, how they perceive and respond to the Word of God. The first thing I want to see is this determined missionary in Paul. The, uh, the, um, I got a few pictures here I want to show up of um, Thessalonica coming from Philippi. So if you guys wouldn't mind flipping, Bart, if you wouldn't click into the next slide there. Um, I got a few. This, so this is a map of Paul's second missionary journey and the places he's going. You can, I know it's kind of hard to see from there, but he's coming out from uh, Antioch, heading out through Derby across the north there, coming into Macedonia from Troas there to number seven there to Philippi. And then we'll see when he gets there to Thessalonica and then to Berea. Um, So this is kind of where he's at on this second missionary journey. And this is important because it's a real place, real time, uh, real places. Maybe some of you have visited these places, whether maybe vacationing or military service, something like that. Got another slide here of of the next, the missionary journey. Let's click the next one there. So this is here. This is kind of give us a a picture just focusing on there. So we see Mount Olympus there in Macedonia going down to Athens. So Philippi to Apollonia, Amphipolis. Now, so there's about like 30, 40 miles between each of those cities, okay? So, so this may have been uh, literally a three-day journey from Philippi. So, I mean, and I say that because that's a big deal. Um, Jamie and I will take walks of an evening, and two, three miles, and we're kind of done, right? Um, this is like, I mean, I, I, so maybe you've hiked, you know, I remember hiking the Grand Canyon in one day, and I was just worn out, uh, and that wasn't 30 miles. That was like 20-something, right? And um, so, so this, is, this is a big deal. So, so with going to these two cities, and probably the reason he didn't, we, he probably did some ministry in Amphipolis and Ap- uh, Apollonia, um, that uh, there, there wasn't a synagogue there, and his kind of chief uh, thing was to the Jew first. Then he gets to Thessalonica. I think I was one that gives a little, t- uh, next slide there, please, gives us a little bit of a uh, topography picture there. So this kind of gives us, showing kind of the picture there. Thessalonica is a port city on the Aegean Sea there. You can kind of see that, that coming down here. This is Paul's route that he's taking. Um, and so just so you can kind of put a place in mind of where we're at. Thessalonica is the capital city of Macedonia. So this was a city that uh, going back to like the 140, 160 BC, and uh, and then it, it eventually uh, it was named after a half sister of Alexander the Great. 
um, and um, uh, Thessalonian, and then Nike, Nick, uh, Thessalonike, that victory type thing, recognizing a, a city there. Uh, about 41 A.D., uh, Mark Anthony, uh, all that going on. It, this is, becomes a free city in the Roman Republic. Uh, and so they're very happy to be a free city, but have much loyalty to Caesar, as we see here. So this is a, um, so, so they've just had this uh, beating. Uh, there's wounds from Philippi, the opposition they received there. And to hike at least 30 miles a day and then start on, this is, this is a determined missionary. This is not, well, if I feel like it. Um, and his method of going to the Jew first. So he spends three days, three Sabbaths, three weeks uh, with them here. Now, so the next thing, so there's a devoted missionary, there's a determined missionary, but there's also a devotion to word-centered ministry. And I want you to get this. Paul does not just cruise up and have his little sales pitch. He reasons. He, I mean, notice, I want you to notice that there's this content of the scriptures, of what he thinks here. He is, these, I notice the verbs in the different translations that you might have. I want to point this out later. But explaining, proving, arguing, opening up, that he uses these terms for what he's doing, reasoning, explaining, opening, proving, alleging, um, proclaiming, persuading. He uses these verbs for what he's doing with the word. And he focuses on Christ as the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, explaining that it was necessary for him to suffer, that he would need to make atonement for our sins and be raised from the dead bodily. Now, this is a theme for Luke Luke, this is really the second volume of his book, of his two books, the Gospel of Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles that Luke the Apostle has penned. And this is a theme for him, this theme that Messiah had to suffer. He had pointed this out earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 3. When we get to chapter 26, he'll point this, that the Messiah had to suffer. It needed to be someone substituting and taking your penalty and my penalty for my sins, that there needed to be someone in our place. There needed to be a substitute. Luke had also mentioned this in, in, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, when he talked about how Jesus was walking with them and how he opened up how the, the Christ must suffer and how their hearts burned within them as they walked in the way, and he took the scriptures pointing to him. So this is an important theme. The content of the Gospel a core component of the gospel, that Jesus, the Messiah of God, suffered the penalty for your sins to the death, but that he won that victory and that Christ was completely satisfied with that atonement. And he was raised again on the third day, showing that God accepted that payment and that it was complete, and that Christ had the power to do it all. This is the gospel. And if you do not know where you'll spend eternity or how you can, as a sinner, become right with God, this is the message that you must receive. This is the message you must believe. Only faith and only in Jesus. And this is where it's at. 
And this is what Paul comes. And he is centered on the word of God as he preaches, them, preaches this to them, focusing on this. So again, note the verbs. He says, reasoned, explained, opened. He's opening. He's expositing. He's expositing to them. He is proving to them. He is alleging to them. The, different, uh, the authorized uses that word. He is demonstrating to them. He's proclaiming to them. He's persuading them with the word of God. He's taking the scriptures taking it to the mat. <clears throat> and you see that same attitude towards the word of God and the way the Bereans receive it, that they received it and they examined it. So all these, the verbs really of this section that we've read really can show us so much about our attitude towards the Bible. That scripture is the source book. It is, it is, the, it is the source, it is everything. And we want as a church by God's grace to be a Bible-centered, a word-centered ministry. Uh, that it's not about what, someone's opinions are or our traditions are but about what the bible says and so the scripture is both the textbook and it's also the court of appeal it is the court of appeal it has the final answer it is the final it is the sole authority of faith and practice and other things like maybe creeds or our own doctrinal statements are helpful things to keep us uh, from going crazy but they are not the authority they only represent what we would see that authority to to finally uh, explain things explain things so that we have an idea where we're at but the authority is the bible and so scripture is the what is the source of what paul is arguing based upon and it's also the court of appeal by which the bereans test it all against and notice that both of them, both Paul and the Bereans, as we looked, read there, that neither one has a superficial attitude or cavalier attitude towards the Bible. And we shouldn't either. We shouldn't have this flippant, well, I'll read this and then move on. Or, or hurry up and you know, read the text so you can get on to the sermon, right? Uh, as if that was, that's the source. That's where we're at. And we shouldn't have, and neither one of them have a superficial like proof texting. Well, I've got this idea and here's a verse, here's a verse, and I'm going to take it out of context. And, or treating the Bible in an unintelligent way. You know? That, well, this word means this today, so therefore I'll force that on this. And not, just, not, just having an unintelligent uh, type way of viewing the Bible. Neither one. And also I want, to see the, want you to see the nature of that because it is, the basis is this arguing, this explaining, this opening and proving, alleging, demonstrating, proclaiming, persuading from the word that Paul does, his disposition, his posture towards those that, that he's, he's sharing the gospel towards. And there's some lessons for there. That his attitude is not cramming Jesus down their throat. It is reasoning, explaining, opening. Proving, alleging, demonstrating, proclaiming, and persuading. This is not indoctrination. Indoctrination would be where in some tyr- tyrannical instruction that would demand uncritical acceptance. That you accept this uncritically, take it. That is not New Testament Christianity. And so there's some lessons here that it's taken the church a long time to figure out. And we apply it in different ways and different ways, and we still wrestle with this. Because you say, well, let's just, where does the church grow? How is the kingdom expanded? And it is not done, um, we go big ways and little ways. Big ways, it is not done through legislation. 
that we can't pass a bill through Congress to declare that we're, everybody has to believe Christianity in this nation. That's how it works, right? It's not going to happen that way. The Apostle Paul didn't have that way. He didn't force it on them. He didn't, you know, uh, that there, that there's not, that, that, that Christianity, does, the law doesn't compel religion. This is why, particularly in our tradition, that we believe in um, free, you know, a separation of church and state in the biblical way, in the baptistic way, that, that, that we don't force that, that we want soul liberty for all people, everyone in this nation, we want them to have freedom uh, of religion. That, there's, that, there, that we don't want to force a particular view on someone that they, we would argue and plead and passionately persuade. But in the end, they have to believe and respond in their own way. True, and it also shows this, that, that Paul was willing to let the faith be tested. That true religion, Christianity, true biblical Christianity submits itself to be examined and scrutinized. So if you are here with doubts and you are here and you're not sure if you're a believer, you want to be a Christian, we take this book and say, test it, prove it wrong. Go And, 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 and the, the annals of church history are littered with people that went out to disprove this book that became believers, went out to prove that the Christ was just a historical myth or a historical person, that all these ideas of divinity are wrong, and they're now preaching sermons today in churches in this country. And take it to the mat. Test it. So we see there this dedication, this devotion to word-centered ministry here. That's a wonderful observation in this passage. But then I want to point out to us here that there is a divided response of how people have received the message, Paul. But we see this contrast most vividly between what happened in Thessalonica and what happened in Berea? There are some Thessalonians that believe that we've read there. It says, and some of them, verse 4, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, or they became, or they provoked with jealousy, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So they form, so we see here in this divided response, some believe and some are ticked off. We see a contrast here. And it says, and it goes on, and there's a famous passage that maybe you're familiar with, when they drag Jason out of the house before the brothers and the city authorities, and they shout, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And that's an awesome thought. That's an awesome phrase, and maybe you're familiar with that passage. What does that mean that they've turned the world upside down? Well, there's a a few different aspects of that. So this speaks of their worldview, it speaks of their true allegiance, and it also speaks of the impact of the gospel. And so the first, it speaks of their worldview. that They're saying, verse 11, that they have turned the world upside down. And so they go out, and I want you to note that the difference here, that in both Thessalonica and Berea, there were devout people and noble people, we'll talk about that when we get talking about Berea, and leading or prominent women uh, in both Thessalonica and in Berea. So that's kind of like, 
you know, some, 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 some heart, the, the type of folk that are, that, that are responding here. And then this mob, these Jews that were mad about this, they go and they go find, if you want to find some people to, to take your side and be mad about something, they're all there, okay? You'll, see, you'll meet them on Facebook this afternoon, okay? Uh, you can be mad about anything. I mean, there's, you know, people that are mad about a cause they didn't even know existed yesterday, right? And they're just going to, you know, ah, you know, um, I didn't even know anything about what was going on in that country yesterday, but today I'm mad about it because, you know, and, and you can find people like that anywhere. And there's different ways that's translated. It said that they found evil men here. Uh, I, I love how the King James has that. They found lewd fellows of a baser sort. And we don't really talk that way, but that's kind of, they, they found lewd fellows of a baser sort. Or uh, another translation of that is that they found bad characters or wicked men of the rabble, as the ESV has here. I actually love how A.T. Robertson had that. He said they found bums. <laughs> you know, they, they, they found some bums. I mean, they found the, some guys that, I mean, there are certain places that you want to find someone to yell and argue with, they're there, right? And they found some of those folks, and they turned, and, and so there's these guys that turned the world upside down. But that speaks that what is upside down depends on your perspective. Whether, you know, we all often think of north as up and south as down, unless you live in the southern hemisphere, and then you don't think of it as that way, right? Uh, it depends on your perspective. This is why worldview is so important. Because from the biblical worldview, they were turning the world right side up, not upside down. That the truth, the real thing, is that Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. And they're worshiping a, and, and having allegiance to a lesser king, not the other way around. And so it's a contrast to worldviews. Worldview matters. That's why worldview and education is such an important thing. It's also a contrast. In, it shows a contrast in their, um, that they turn the world upside down. It speaks of their worldview, but it also speaks of their true allegiance said that these men, verse 7, that they are, they've received, the Jasons received, they're shown hospitality or harbored them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus, or that Jesus. How dare they? Now, sometimes we don't get that because we're, you know, we're, we're Americans, Jesus is king, and we don't have a king. But this is equivalent to walking into Nazi Germany and saying, Jesus is Fuhrer. You don't say that here. Jesus, and so that there is a, there is a higher throne, as the song we saw before this, than all this world's known. That they're accusing them of a, a treason against Caesar, contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Now, what were they doing against the decrees of Caesar? There is a king higher than the kings of the civil courts. And so I want to ask you, Christian in America, could you be found guilty of treason like these believers were? Treason of being loyal to a greater king than the gods of this age? Could you be found guilty of treason to the American civil religion? We love the religious freedom and the heritage we have in this country. But often it's a secular religion that's worshipped. And secular religions are false gods just like Buddha or any other false god. Christ is the only one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be, shouldn't be civil or 
uh, open and allow other people to have things, but could you be found guilty of treason against some civil no-name God religion? I would think that most of us, had we lived in Babylon with Daniel, would not have been part of the ones thrown in the lion's den. Because when the music played, we'd be like, well, you know, this is our culture. Bow down. I was reading my devotions this morning in Esther about how Haman was so angered at Mordecai because when he was they're all supposed to give tribute to Haman and Mordecai wouldn't because there's one God that's, that he's he's loyal to. And I'm thinking how many of us, if we were in Mordecai's shoes or more appropriate Mordecai's sandals, um, would have had no problem. There would have been no lynching, you know. Because we would have just said, all right, that's it's our town. That's what we do here. Life works better if you just go with it. Something happens at work, and they say, hey, we're not going to have any uh, uh, proselytizing, any, any uh, religious talk at work. Now, and there's, a, there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's some just natural good things in that. But does that even inconvenience you at all? You're like, oh, okay. You know, you're kind of looking for an excuse to not witness at work anyway, right? I mean, do you even like, is that even like inconvenience you that you have to find time outside of work to talk to your coworkers about Christ and about their sin and their eternity and to build relationships with them? I mean, have you ever even gotten in trouble for that? But so, so, so they turn the world upside down. It speaks of their worldview. It also speaks of their true allegiance in Thessalonica. But it also speaks about the impact that the gospel was having. That the impact the gospel was having, a, 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 that it was, it was changing things. It was turning the world upside down. It was causing radical social upheaval of what was going on. It was causing change. That they were taking notice that the system was upset. I mentioned a little bit before that. So they had this nice system. And what is really cool is that the word that Luke uses here in Acts 17 about the city authorities, that's a word that's not used in, 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 in classical Greek literature, and it's only used there. But I have a slide. Um, I'm gonna click up to the next slide if you wouldn't mind. Um, a slide I want to show you. This... Um, Politicarch is the word that um, Luke uses here. And that was a word that people were like, oh, he's not using, he's not being accurate, that's not the political thing, until uh, in the uh, mid-1800s they found this inscription that lists several of them and uses the word that Luke uses here in Thessalonica. Now, has anyone here been to the British Museum in London? Okay, one, it's on my bucket list. I want to go, but this is actually housed there uh, in the British Museum in, uh, in England. And, um, and so you can go see this. There's a proving, and it's amazing how whenever you look to archaeology and science, most of the time it ends up proving uh, the Bible to be accurate and trustworthy and historically uh, down to the thing. So this is, so this is, so they're, but they're upset. They've got this nice little, you know, city council thing going on here and they, they like it. It's comfortable. And these guys are set break, are busting up the system. This gospel that they're preaching. 
Turning the world upside down. People don't like change, especially when it messes with something. This is the, the spirit of those people. Man, those preachers, that they've ruined everything. They've came in here and changed a bunch of stuff. And, 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 and we kind of like the, the way we did things. And, and thank you very much. We kind of like our culture. And that's just part of our North Central West Virginia Appalachian culture. We don't want to change that. So, Paul, you just don't fit in here. You don't, you're really not contextualizing the faith to our culture here. I mean, you're not really doing that. And you repeat that argument for 2,000 years, and that's what's going on right now in our own area. Right? The gospel, as one study Bible mentioned, is not in the business of merely improving programs and conduct, but it's in dramatic, dramatically transforming lives. And the gospel isn't just about changing. Oh, we're going to, you know, we can preach the gospel and, and we'll fit it into your, all, your already your system where we'll just talk about the morals that it helps and help people be good citizens, but we'll kind of defang it of those things about Jesus being the only way type stuff, right? And that'll be okay. No, no. Paul just opens it up. But it's also an awesome thing that the church was known for changing society. Um, I mean, there's an encouragement from this. That um, how can we, how can you be a part of God's work? Why don't you ask yourself this? How can you be a part of God's work in turning the world upside down? I mean, don't you want to give yourself to something that will change the world? How could you be a part this week into giving yourself to something God's doing to turn the world upside down. That might be teaching a child in your living room. That might be being faithful and witnessing at work or just living a good testimony or whatever it is. But it might be you saying, hey, I'm going to sell all and go. I mean, there's a million different things. How can you be a part of what God's doing to turn the world upside down? Or right side up, we might say. How can our church be a part of, of turning this neighborhood around and upside down? I mean, I mean, what if? I mean, imagine 10 years from now, someone comes and says, man, Clarksburg and Northview are different. I mean, and, 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 and that church kind of like changed things. And there might even be people who are mad about that. I mean, it's hard to sell drugs in that part of town now. We don't like that. We don't like it that this establishment, that we don't have clientele anymore for this type of business. And it's all because of those people. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? So we see the response of those in Thessalonica, those that are against, and then we see a different response totally in Berea, in verse 10. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So Bree is about 30 to 45 miles west or southwest of Thessalonica. So it's another good little hike. Um, but unlike the Thessalonians, who use disreputable men, or lewd fellows of a baser sort, to stir up a riot, the Bereans' response was to examine the scriptures to see whether those things were so. And notice that attitude towards the scriptures. To receive them, and to examine them. How do you respond to the scriptures? How do you respond to the word of God? Now, and it says, verse 11, that they, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. 
Now, the nobility here, the word means they were born well, or basically those that were born of a more of an upper-class family. And it came to mean those who were tolerant and generous towards ideas. So their nobility is what they were tolerant and generous. They were, they, they were open-minded. They, they were folks, okay, well, let's think about this. Let, let's reason a little bit here. They at least had that type of an attitude towards the Scriptures. Now, when we think of the Bereans... I would say that most of the time, uh, maybe, maybe from my perspective or my experience, that the, the, this concept is usually applied to Christians, right? Uh, be a Berean, right? Uh, you go out and be Bereans. Um, to, I, in essence, search the scriptures, see if it's so, right? However, the context here, context is important, right? Um, the context here is evangelism of unbelieving Jews. That These unbelieving Jews were willing to give Paul's words a legitimate hearing and test those arguments against the Scriptures. And so, if you say, oh, I'm not a Christian, well, how are you responding to this? Could you have an open mind enough to test it, to see if it's true? That Let the Bible be the court of appeal? Is it true? But I think it also applies to Christians. That we would have an openness, that we would be noble, that we would have a, a tolerance or a generousness towards ideas about Scripture. Here's what I mean by that. Does Scripture really have the final authority in your mind? Or is it just proof texting or out of context things? And so I would say, um, take it to the mat. The matter is the scripture. That's where it's tested. Wrestle with it there. How do you respond when you hear a different idea than the perspective you've had for a long time? Maybe the tradition that you grew up in. Maybe the denomination you grew up in. Maybe our own traditions. How do you respond when you hear someone that has a different perspective about something than your own? Do you take it to the scriptures? Do you ever ask, well, what if? When your kids have crazy ideas about the Bible, what about this and what about that? And you think, huh, there was just something this past week I was thinking about, like, as it pertains to, like, art and stuff like that, about, like, the different colors and the things when God was describing all the different things in the temple and the way the priests would worship. That there were some colors that were applied to things that don't happen, like blue horses and stuff like this. And you're like, does that mean God's okay with a little imagination if my daughter wants to draw a purple horse? Because horses aren't purple, by the way. You know, you know, is, is that, you know, and I'm like, what if, what if God's okay with a little bit of that? You know, what if, you know, I mean, that th- you have a, a, le- a little bit of an open mind there. Or do you just think when you hear some other idea that what you've heard for a long time or experience or the way I grew up was, do you just think, oh, that's weird or that's different or that's different? I mean, what has the authority, the Bible or your system, the Bible or your traditions, the Bible or your routine, the Bible or your denominational labels or whatever? And I would argue this, that if you've not changed your opinion or your position on anything in your adult life, you're probably not a teachable person. Because if you're a teachable person, there's probably at least one thing in your adult life that you've changed your position or your opinion on just by being an open-minded thinker. And this nobility of these Bereans speaks to that. Then we need to be Bible people. So 
as one person said, don't let the Bible be the handmaiden to your system. The Bible is not submissive to Calvinism or Arminianism or Baptists or Methodists or denominational or non-denominational or whatever your system might be. The Bible's the Bible. Don't let Scripture be a handmaiden to a system. Don't buy your theology, buy the kit, buy it by the piece. Let the Scripture speak to it. And I'm not saying systems are wrong. I have systems, you have systems. Saying don't let the system be the authority. Let the system be the framework by which you approach. We all have to have some type of framework and perspective. But don't come with it with, a, with the system. I mean, if you have a system that when you read certain passages of the Bible, you immediately have to explain away, you might need to look for a different system. Right? We have an open mind when it comes to Scripture. I want to read, I, uh, many of you are familiar with the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, and some, just some that are like, whoa, those are intense, right? I want to read one of his uh, resolutions that speaks to this idea of having an open mind, um, being noble, t- generous towards ideas, kind of like the Bereans are giving us a example. So Jonathan Edwards said this, Resolved, therefore, that if ever I live to years, I will be um, impartial to hear and re- the reason of all pretended discoveries and receive them if rational how long soever i am i've been used to another way of thinking basically if even though if i've been used to thinking a certain way for a long time if someone comes with another argument with a rational thing i'm like ah, i'll be open to that to thinking about it um and so in this contrast of these two cities we saw two different responses two different ways of receiving the scriptures but we see, as we wrap this up, a diverse reach of the gospel. That those reach of the gospel were not all the same. And we saw this when we were at Philippi, and we saw the different types of people, that the different backgrounds, like, like, the, um, like Lydia and others that came into this church. That you have this church made up of people that it doesn't make sense and that's what every church ought to be made up of people that it doesn't make sense outside the gospel of why they get together it ought to confuse the town like wait a minute i thought they were all people that like this kind of music or dress this certain way why are they all together why are these educated people with uneducated these rich people with poor people why are they gathering together why are people with this level of melanin in their skin and this people this level of melanin in their skin gathering together in the same place on sundays and the answer is Jesus, right? And that's what the church is supposed to be. And we see that showing up in those that are reached here in, um, at Thessalonica and in Berea. Those that received were not. And they weren't even part of his first target audience. And who were his first target audience? He went to the synagogue, right? He goes to the synagogue, and everywhere he went, he went to the Jew first, right? So, so he goes to the synagogue, but those weren't all the ones he reached. The target audience in both instances is not, is not where a lot of the results and the fruit came from. And I think there's some application for there, that, that God has put our church in a certain place, and, and we need to recommit to, to reaching a particular neighborhood. But that doesn't mean God's not going to allow you to reach people not in that neighborhood. And often, sometimes God blesses our faithfulness in one area by bringing fruit in another. And so there's an application there. But I want you to see the four different groups of people that accept or believe the gospel in these accounts. 
we see Jews that come and believe the faith there. We saw that there in Thessalonica and also in Berea. They, as they rationals, they wrestled with it and took what he said about Jesus needing to be the Messiah, needing to suffer, especially the resurrection that was hard for them to accept. Uh, how do we fit this suffering Messiah in Isaiah and the conquering Messiah in Isaiah? How do we see him, him being cut off and still Jehovah prolonging his days like in Isaiah 53? How do we see that coming together? And then when, when, so when Paul's coming, this rabbi Paul coming and saying how, how there was a resurrection, and, it's like, how, and then they're taking that to the text and saying, that makes sense. This is the Messiah. And so we see Jews coming. We see Greeks coming. Some of them probably uh, even, I, we don't know much about this character named Jason, uh, other than that he has a really awesome name. Um, thank you. Um, and and, and we, whether he was a believer or not, but he, and this may be someone, Paul was a tent maker. Maybe these were some of the Greek contacts that he had from his tent making business or things like this. We, so we see some like that. And also the text tells us that there were God-fearers. God-fearers, and those were those that were Gentiles that had uh, proselytized to Judaism. So we see God-fearers, and then both in Thessalonica and in uh, Berea, we see these leading women or prominent women. These were basically women who were from the upper echelons of society. These are the pinkies in the airs type ladies, right? I mean, the, I mean you see, they, they were maybe married to dignitaries or maybe they were leading businesswomen like we saw at Philippi with Lydia. I mean, whatever it was, we see these prominent women. And there's this impact. There's an importance on ladies' ministries here and reaching out to, to ladies. But, um, but, the, but what I want to get at is the breadth, the diversity from every kindred tribe and nation, from every social socioeconomic class from every background from every school from every neighborhood there's there's this oh, whosoever will there's this broad arms of the gospel and it's shown in the makeup of the church and there's an application for us as a church here because sometimes we might have this missional idea that we want to really reach the down and outers but what about the up and inners right i mean are you okay with reaching the bum on the street are you or, but not okay with reaching the guy that you know makes a lot of money and drives a nice car and you know or whatnot that that there should sometimes we can have prejudice both ways and james speaks about this when those that come into your assembly this way and we wouldn't have that type of an attitude that both need the gospel both are empty Both need the bread of life. Both are hungry. Both are poor and have no righteousness and need Jesus' righteousness. So Paul's approach was to reach all. Paul's background, his his, his side hustle, as you might have, his tent making, his his background in education as being a a student of Gamaliel and being a rabbi, and uh, all these things went to make, to give him this positive reach to a broad, as broad a group as possible. So, do you want to reach as many people as possible? I'm being serious. Do you want to reach as many people, as many people from different backgrounds as possible? Or do you, deep down in your soul, kind of have a target group? You know, I really want my church to primarily be made up of people that, you know, come from this background or kind of in this income bracket, um, you know, and not really much different. You know, I don't want to be at one of those hoity-toity churches with rich people. 
Oh, I don't want to be at like one of those bum churches where just the odor hits you as soon as you walk in the door. These people just came off the street or they were sleeping down by the creek down in, uh, you know, uh, uh, down, you know, below going over into Staley or something down by the river or whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to really go to church there. I kind of want, you know, the, you know, the people in that thirty to $50,000 income bracket that are kind of my, ca- my crowd and, you know, they like my kind of music. Do you really want to reach as many people as possible? Um, this shows up in lots of different ways. And we'll see Paul's approach, his, his breadth, and just really he has such a broad, uh, his own background, his own education. We see this more when we get to Athens next week when, when, he, when he's at Mars Hill and he's talk, showing knowledge about um, poets and everything like this. But I think this is, this is a, um, an argument on the side of the importance of being well-rounded people. This is the importance from an educational perspective of a liberal arts education to being able to talk about various things and various subjects so that you feel you, you can just as easily sit down with those that in a, 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 at a fine tablecloth dinner and talk to them about the gospel as you can sip an iced tea eating barbecue sandwiches with it dripping over on your, on your napkin. And it is getting close to 12 o'clock. And Dickie's is closed, as well as the other barbecue restaurant. So I'm in big trouble, right? And so anyway, so so both things. I mean, uh, I, I've seen some men like this. Um, Jamie and I served at, oh, we were in college at this small church in South Carolina. And there were some, um, it was kind of in a weird situation. There was kind of a secular college just across the way from the church. And so we tried to do some outreaches there. And then also there were some kind of project apartment complexes. And so... Uh, so we, sometimes we'd have professors from that college come visit the service that were unbelievers and, and some students that wanted to argue everything, um, and, which is awesome. And, uh, and then, but then we also had a ministry to these kind of project apartments uh, with, with some low-income housing, and we'd bring those folks to church. And one of the guys who was a deacon at the church, brilliant man, I have utmost respect for him, uh, he has a Ph.D. from UNC. He... Uh, uh, teaches literary criticism and philosophy at, at down at, at, at in Greenville at Bob Jones. He drove like 50 minutes to come to this little church. Um, he had studied philosophy at Oxford. Brilliant man. So when some of those professors from that secular school had come over, we were like, oh, you go talk to them, right? But we had a group of kids one time that from those projects, low income, whatever, and we're feeding them, and he comes and sits at a table, pulls out a napkin, and starts showing them some two-hand touch plays on the napkin when they're playing two-hand touch football in the yard afterward. And I remember talking to him, like, that is so cool that you're able to do that. He's like, well, that's the purpose of education. Education is not just so you can talk to the highbrows. Education is so that you can reach everybody. That's one of the importance of why we want to emphasize a liberal arts education with like our students here, or what, getting involved in, in music and also this, so, so, th- so that you can reach as many people as possible. That you're not like, oh, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I only want to talk about, you know, like burping in NASCAR, right? Well, I only want, I don't want, well, I don't want to talk about people that don't know, you know, all of the movements of Mozart, right? You know, I mean, I mean, that there's a little bit of both. You know, that it's not, that, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. But it's also part of this big movement of Mozart that you kind of got an idea. So, like, I love, I love Batman. I don't know why I like Batman. He's just one of my, and I'm not knocking on Marvel. I really love all the Marvel stuff. I just really like Batman, you know, billionaire with lots of gadgets. I like it. But like, but anyway, but you know, and like all the Batmans, 
You know, when, when Bruce Wayne and his parents, when his parents are shot, they're going to the opera, right? What opera are they watching? Anyone know? That's Jamie, who likes opera. <laughs> who likes that, right? But that there's part of that. It's Mephistopheles, right? Has anyone ever seen Mephistopheles? Okay, that there's part of that. There's, there's this type of people and these type of people. So whether it's Mephistopheles or Batman, there's somewhere in there, and you want to reach as many people as possible. This is an important thing. I've met other people. I knew this one guy in the ministry one time. He was able to talk to someone about, you know, economics and Keynesian theory and talk about this with these kind of like Ivy Leaguers like this. And then he turns around and talks to a, 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 a guy who's like a contractor about stuff that's going on in contracting and like a, you know, mom and pop type thing. And you're like, how does that work? What, that, that's ministry. That's what I want to reach as many people as possible. That shows up in how you educate, at what you read, what kind of music you listen to, whether you want to reach as many people as possible. It shows up in how you decorate and how we treat our building and how we treat our uh, uh, property here at the church. What, do we really want to reach as many people as possible? Do we want certain people to be offended or other people not feel welcome? I mean, do you decorate your church like it's like this ivory tower and you got marble everything? So there's certain people that are from certain backgrounds are going to be like, whoa, I can't fit there you know like you gotta get your nose way up in the air to walk in that church or do you have some people that are like oh that's just man we don't want to have nice you know i mean it, it goes both ways so i ask you do you want to reach as many people as possible anyway that's a side thing there that i think shows that breadth greeks jews god fearers prominent women i mean they're reaching all these and we see this in these two contrasts these two different worldviews these two different responses to the gospel at thessalonica and berea and so How is your response to the Bible? Do you have an open mind towards the Bible? Is it the final authority? Do you have a heart for reaching people? Are you a determined missionary like Paul is here? Do you really have a heart to reach a diverse group of people? And as diverse as God would say, the, the church will be people from every kindred, tribe, and nation. There's so many lessons for us in this short episode here of Paul's missionary journey to Thessalonica and then to Berea. And if you do not know Christ, as you've heard this gospel, be like these Bereans. Test it. See if it's true. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Um, take, take one. There's some in the lobby. Uh, study it. Test it. Try to disprove it. I dare you. Let's all learn some lessons from these two, these two cities and these two church plants. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this passage. When the gospel went here to Thessalonica and Berea, Lord, would you give us a heart to be like these Bereans that are open to the word, that we would be open to change, that our thinking, that we wouldn't be, be shackled to a system or a tradition or a background. Lord, would we let the text, that sola scriptura, that it would be the rule, the authority of faith and practice and living this week. Lord, would you give us a heart to reach? Lord, would you strip away prejudices that we might have for various people that we don't really want to reach? Maybe they live in a certain neighborhood or from a certain nationality or a certain background or a certain substance addiction or certain odor or certain that you would rip that away that we'd want to reach as many people as possible because you love the world and you are drawing people from every 
people group. And we want to be part of you turning the world upside down. Lord, would you give us opportunities? And Father, for those that are unsaved, God, would you help them as they're searching and testing? With heads bowed, eyes closed, let's let's go ahead and do some responding before we close. Maybe you need to respond in some different ways. Let's take a few moments. If you're here and you're not saved, we don't want to embarrass you at all. But if you just want to slip out while we're praying and maybe come up front or go to the back, um, we'd love to talk to you about this, reason with you about salvation. And then, Christians, you respond as God's worked on your heart through this passage today. God, we recognize that you are king and Christ is king. Lord, would you help us to live in a way this week that people would notice us, that we are loyal to a higher throne, a higher king than Caesar or the many Caesars that we would have in our day. Thank you for allowing us to be ambassadors to the great king we can recognize his throne higher than all. Thank you for this example, these examples of your servants, Silas and Timothy and Paul. Help us to follow in their step, footsteps to preach the message they preached and preach it in a way they preached it. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we're not without light. Help us now as we go through our respective homes and things we have going on this week. Would you help us to follow you in this way? In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to encourage you to stick around and fellowship a little bit. And uh, I'm glad you're here. And I hope to see you next time, uh, Wednesday night. I want to invite everybody out that can be there. And God bless. Have a great week.